Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. We can't be in the same room, but a podcast can't be stopped. Cinemas are empty, the industry is fucked, but we won't log off. We're not going out, we're staying at home. And when we watch films, we watch them alone. We sit in our pants, stick on something crap, and then we hit Skype for a little chat. Little chat, little chat, little chat, little chat, little chat. Alrighty, we're back. The latest missive from the lockdown bunkers is being recorded. Danny, how are you? I'm good. You know, I'm struggling. I'm trying to avoid complaining because I'm, you know, my life, the only problem I have is being maybe slightly bored and just missing the chance to not go outside. You know, I just miss having the option not to go outside. I'm not sure if I've really changed that much in terms of my social life. Yeah. But I just miss being able to decide not to do stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You miss being out of flake. Yeah, exactly. I just love, I just love flaking on people. Now... The thing is, now you can't flake, can you? If someone wants to do like, oh, do you want to do a Zoom call? You're like, I mean, what excuse could you possibly have? It is hard. It is hard to to not to go to things. Yeah. I mean, it's also hard to be late to things, which I hasn't stopped me. Yeah. But um, but there's even fewer excuses than I would normally have for for being late. I can no longer. I can't tell people that um, I waited ages for a bus because I wouldn't have caught one for the, to get to attend a Zoom call. I guess the new excuse is like, oh, I had to download it again and I had to like reinstall some stuff and I can't get my web my, my webcam to work, even though people don't have webcams anymore. I mean, that'd be absurd if you actually had a webcam, like you don't have a camera in your laptop. Where yeah. are you from? <laughs> I had to set up my camera <laughs> yeah. and my microphone to film myself. Um, I had to wash my hands. I was singing happy birthday over and over and over again to myself. Yeah. And it just took longer than expected. So that's why I'm an hour late. Uh, but yeah, I'm generally okay. Yourself? What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing fine. Um, I don't know. I think I've got a almost limitless capacity to make feel busy, even when I have very few responsibilities. I think just the tiny number of things that I have to do expands to to fill my life, and uh, you know, and pr- procrastination does a lot of work for me. So um, yeah, I'm doing okay. Um, and what about in the world, the escapist world of <laughs> cinema and television, those beautiful imaginary realms where people meet outdoors and shake hands and hug and kiss each other? Well, you know, we're living in these scary times. So I thought what film could possibly just be like a nice warm hug to get me through, get me through these times. So I watched the Paul Feig, Emma Thompson scripted film Last Christmas, which came out 
Well, it didn't come out last Christmas. It came out like October last year because they wanted to get their money before Christmas, which was the uh, Amelia Clark uh, Christmas movie. She is a sort of directionless woman in her twenties who drinks too hard and shags about, and then she meets a sexy dude on a bike. His played by Henry Golding, and another one of his completely charmless sort of like automaton uh, performances. You have thrown away your life working in some silly Christmas shop. Baby, don't cry. Hey, Elf! <clears throat> this is my little helper. I have nicknamed her Lazy the Elf because she appears never to work. Father, if only Christmas get me out of here. What? Jesus, where'd you come from? Well, what are you looking at? I'll be a falcon. Oh, damn it! I think you just pooed in your eye. Yeah, I think so. She works at like a sort of Christmas shop in Covent Garden run by Michelle Yeoh. And she is Yugoslavian, uh, though you wouldn't know from her accent, just doing her normal cut glass English accent. But her parents emigrated when they were like little kids because of the war. And her mum is played by Emma Thompson, giving it full like Monty Python. I am Yugoslavian lady from the, the 90s and now I live in London. So, uh, tell me about sleep. She never sleeps. Exercise? Religiously. Not at all. Alcohol? Oh, oh she's drinking while. like the pirate. Well, okay, fine. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you so much for your time. Let's go, Mum. And uh, basically, Henry Golden just gets her out of her funk. And the the sort of hook of the movie is that it's based on the uh, the music of George Michael, specifically just the one song, Last Christmas. Now, I'm going to give a massive spoiler away now because it's a shit movie and I don't care. But basically... You know the lyric uh, in Last Christmas, Last Christmas, you gave me your heart. And the, I gave you my heart, and the very next day, you gave it away. The The conceit is that Henry Gordon's actually dead, and he died in a tra traffic accident, and he gave his heart, like, Emilia Clark did a heart transplant, and so she's got Henry Gordon's heart within her. Incredible. Uh, Wait. I, <laughs> Sorry. Last so, Christmas. Who's singing? Who's singing the song? Last Christmas. Is, uh, Henry Golding is the narrator in the song. I guess so. I gave you my heart. He gives. He, he dies. He dies, and he was on the transplant register, and so. And uh, she needs. She needs a heart transplant for a secondary reason. Yeah, for just a health reason. For health reasons, and so he gives her his heart. Yeah. And then the very next day she has she is killed in an accident and then her heart is transplanted <laughs> into a third person. No, it's and like And he's singing he's dead and he's singing from heaven and he's like I will never if I could be resurrected I would not do that again after how she treated the heart that I gave her. I mean, unfortunately it isn't quite literal enough. It's just the first part of the lyric really. Uh but it's just like a terrible movie, not very funny. It's striving so hard to be so charming and light and warm that it, it just feels a bit kind of calculating and a bit off. Something I found very annoying about it is that Brexit happens in the movie. Like it's set in like 2016 oh, no. or something. And then like, oh, no. there's the, Bre there's the, there's the Brexit vote. And oh, then like, God. and, uh, <laughs> and Amelia Clark. That, that, that hit me like a fucking punch to the gut. <laughs> oh, and, man. um, Amelia Clark comes home and like Emma Thompson's watching the TV and crying and is like they hate us. It is like you know, and sort of drawing a, co a comparison between the like <laughs> the war on Yugoslavia and the break situation. And then there's like a sort of weird thing where like Amelia Clark starts volunteering at like a homeless center and puts on a show. 
bit like Love Actually, right? It's got to end with a big sort of song and dance number. But I just felt, it felt like very off. And there's something I found weird about this sort of plummy voiced, Cambridge educated Emma Thompson, like just doing a sort of comedy pirate accent, playing a Yugoslavian and making some sort of point about Brexit. Yeah, it just felt, it's the same, it was, it's kind of similar to how Love Actually begins with like Hugh Grant talking about 9-11. It's like, what the fuck is this movie? You know, like, like Brexit doesn't exist in this light nonsense movie. You know, like, this is not a film, nobody gets killed or raped in this universe. No bad things happen. The worst thing that can happen is you get hit while you're on your bike. Uh, I don't know. It was just... They're, ad- they're adapting their dinner party conversations into movies. Yeah, exactly. It's the worst thing that's happened to Emma Thompson recently was Brexit. So it's the... That's why... <laughs> yeah. That's why it's in the film. Yeah, this this movie's a real riposte to Brexit, I thought. If we could just get yeah. those 52 percenters to, to watch Last Christmas... Can we crowd? Can we crowdfund getting Last Christmas out to all of the left behind areas and the, uh, the you know, whatever the forgotten uh, crevices of Britain where the uh, the neglected leavers mm. lurk? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, as long as they can see this Paul Feig movie, I'm sure they'll they'll change it up. Yeah, he's, his... he's in a bit of a rut, isn't he, Feig? Yeah, he's in he's a he's in a rut. <laughs> he's in a rut. He needs to get out of his funk. I mean, maybe uh, he's just, you know, no good when detached from uh, gifted improvisers or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, one of the problems with this movie is that Amelia Clark. I think she does quite well what she's been given. Because it's such a sort of, like, thankless, classic uh, kind of rom-com lead. And, like, she's a bit, sort of, a bit of a klutz and is, like, always falling over and stuff like that, you know? And she drinks too hard and she's a bit sarcastic and a bit disaffected. And, like, she's just quite charming in and of herself and i think it kind of she strikes me as she's more like this character than like khaleesi as like you know she's just sort of a happy-go-lucky posho brit but uh yeah like a lot of the stuff she had to be working with was pretty terrible i thought michelle Yeoh was also very funny basically just doing a sort of stern boss thing it's a bit one note but she's just a much better actress than like a lot of the people in the movie like find it weird how michelle Yeoh is such a like superstar and then she always prop, props up in these like English language movies, playing like the ninth like supporting character. And it's like this woman could act any of these people off the stage, you know? It's ridiculous. But yeah, once a miss. Uh, just didn't. If anything, I was filled with more despair after watching it. Well, I'm sorry it didn't really do the trick for you. I I would like to I would like to see the back of this Henry Golding guy. I'm sure, <laughs> he's a nice guy. But... <laughs> we need more. We need better leads. Yeah. That's another big problem is like it's supposed to be like coast on the charm of the two leads and like Amelia Clark's doing a lot of heavy lifting, you know, like she's yeah. fucking dragging this like lunk around. It's just useless. Stepford husband. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, one to miss. One to miss, I'm afraid. Should we talk about a more a more manly film for, for, for guys? Oh, absolutely. A film where real stuff happens, not like Brexit, which is fake and not didn't happen. But like real stuff, like explosions and people getting uh, shot, like a lot. We watched a Netflix movie, Extraction, starring Chris Hemsworth, one of the Chris's who's uh, who's around. This is an extraction. So who are the players? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. <laughs> Some mythic shit, huh? It's a kidnapping. Drug lord's son. Clock's running at 16 hours. Proof of life as of six hours ago. 
directed by Captain America's stuntman, produced by the Russo brothers. I don't recall the name of the director, but he was Captain America's stuntman. And, and written by one of the Russos, Joe Russo. And written by Joe Russo. I think the Russos are using their um, colossal world bestriding clout to, uh, to become producers now. They're kind of like, they set up a production company. They, they produced that film, uh, it was called something like 16 Bridges, a certain number of bridges. <laughs> I believe it's 21 Bridges. 21 Bridges with, uh, who was in that movie? It was... Ch- Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman, another Marvel Universe alumnus. Um, and, uh, and I guess they've also, you know, turned their talents to, to extraction. Both kind of like hard-hitting action movies, you know. I think they like things with a little crunch to them. And um, Extraction is a very over-the-top um, uh, shoot-em-up kind of uh, film. It was like more um, heavy on the murders than I was expecting. A bit like clearly heavily inspired by stuff like The Raid um, and also with a little dose of like something like Hardcore Henry in there just yeah. in, in how over the top and unreal and bizarre it was. Hemsworth is a operative. Uh, he's like an Australian man who's um, in Australia doing what Australians do, which is sitting in complete wilderness with no civilization <laughs> around them. Um, having a few fosters. Having a few fosters and some beers with the, with his other Australian friends. Uh, and then he's called upon for one last mission kind of thing. He's got some great regrets about his wife, which I don't think I was paying enough attention to fully understand. Anyway, he's laden with guilt and he doesn't care whether he lives or dies kind of thing. Um, and uh, he's like a super soldier. He's got to go in and rescue this, the kidnapped son of a drug lord um, while another drug lord who kidnapped him uh, is, trying to, is trying to gun him down. And he basically makes his way through Bangladesh, just murdering extraordinary numbers of the locals. Um, all drug dealers, of course, uh, and yeah. uh, so it's fine. Um, in a in a real orgy of violence for about two hours, uh, I found it a little wearying. Personally, yeah, it's like a sort of ninety minute movie trapped in a two hour movie. Uh, I mean, that's not the least of its problems. I find it just like the the memo has not gone gone round that Chris Hemsworth is really funny, and that's his. That's what's so great about him that he can be like this huge hunky leading man but also like hilarious at the same time. So when you put him in this completely humorless role, it just feels like you're only using 20% of the Hemsworth thing. Absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. This is t- totally wasted Hemsworth in this film, sadly. Also, there's something a bit odd, like, I mean, this is true of so many movies, where just like any country which isn't like white English speaking is all this lawless, like zombie wasteland. <laughs> it's just like, sort of, they bring in this hungry white dude who just will murder just so many young brown dudes. And it's just like... Absolutely. I wonder if it's like the Russo brothers, is they, all these scripts are like from the late 90s to like, these are all the scripts they wrote when they were 20 and like, <laughs> and now they've got this money. It's like, oh, I just go literally go into their drawer and it's like, I wrote this in 2003, but I don't think I have to change anything about it. I'm sure just it'll be fine. And it just feels quite dated. Yeah. I mean, this guy could be in like basically any country on earth. Like there is no, all that you know is, is that it's like foreign land, basically. It's that thing where like, um, like a bustling metropolis, like no one obeys traffic laws. Um, all the streets are absolutely crammed all the time with like uh, street sellers and people yelling at each other. Um, and uh, there is just absolutely no law whatsoever. People just having their heads blown off in the street constantly. And like, you know, it just seems like that's an everyday occurrence. And like gangs basically run the whole place. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it is kind of like uh, just like a bit of racist set dr- dressing, I think. Yeah, you know, where it's like you know what the rest of the world is like, you know, like just kind of a bit backwards and violent. 
So we just throw our um, also quite backwards and violent uh, hero into that setting, and then it won't you know it won't be an issue that he's like blown off like dozens and dozens of heads per second in this film. Um, I think I felt like it was straining a bit too hard for like epicness. There's yeah. a extraordinarily long one shot in the film. Um, which is the sort of centerpiece of the movie and felt a bit designed to get like talked about on Twitter. You know, it's like the water cooler moment of the film. I I think it sort of reach exceeded its grasp in terms of the spectacle uh, of like knitting together all of these different shots into a single one. Probably like the main antecedent to it is the one shot in the car in Children of Men. Yeah. Um, It has a lot of that, but it's like, obviously different shots stitched together because the camera is swinging inside the car then outside the car and back into the car um in a way that's like physically impossible and the seams are showing too much from slightly ropey cg there's some like stuff that just doesn't look real at all they clearly switched to green screen at some points and you know well and yeah I think I it think... would, it would, like it would have been cooler and more impressive to have loads of edits but good stunts you know i think like yeah, stunts yeah. is what's impressive like edits is not a big deal like, and I think there's been an issue actually in general with too many um, directors wanting to do one-shot sequences. And because you're doing like a one-shot fight scene, the stunts can't, aren't that good because they have to do them all at once, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like rather than doing a series of incredibly impressive things for real and then just cutting away once they're complete, once they're done. I think that's much cooler. Yeah, I agree. And I also think it's something like I just associate like those kind of one shots with the kind of magical roving camera so much with kind of video games they end up having this sort of like slight weightless quality whereas like because yeah your brain can just tell when something like hasn't been done for real there's something incredibly impressive about like children of men stuff is like all done in camera for the most part yeah and that's what's so cool about children of men was that insane car rig they built with like but it's so Camry weird because like cool. without watching the behind the scenes stuff you would be like but the camera's going through the heads or whatever but it doesn't feel that way for some reason. Like, I don't know what it is, but like, you can just tell, an audience can just tell if something's been digitally stitched together or not. And it's just, uh, yeah, it just, I feel like it just becomes incredibly distracting because you just feel like the director's intention so much more than anything else. It's like, I get it. You watch that movie, you want to do your one. So just all like a bit of a kind of macho dick measuring contest, kind of like camera move. I think it just, it feels that way when it's not being, it's, if it's not attached to a story that you're invested in then yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean anything, so you don't care, you know? Like, it, it, it is, I think, it really felt like watching a Call of Duty cutscene. It's very video gamey as well, because in video games, they don't have the same physical constraints on the camera, so they do, they, you know, you... you yeah, yeah. If, if you're in the first-person perspective of your hero, you will have, like, long sequences without cuts with explosions happening around you, which is, like, what this one was like. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure that there was some stuff in there that was really well done and like some some like excellent stunt work and everything like that that was very difficult to do. And you know, it obviously had ambitions in terms of its action that exceeded like other movies of that ilk, but I did not did not care for it. So bloody brown and humorless. Yeah. Like this like the whole all of the, the whole movie was the same shade, like this kind of gritty, grummy, yeah, yeah, yeah. grimy thing and uh didn't love it. Didn't love it. Take it off your watch list. No good. The other thing that was interesting about it is the fact that it got good reviews at elsewhere. Like Robbie Collin gave it four stars and stuff. Which yeah, is I don't know. I don't know. I, I think maybe these film critics, their brains are just melting. And they haven't been in the cinema in like, you know, a month now. They just don't know what's going on. 
they just they're just so bored sitting at home that a film with some gunshots in it they're like oh yes some life you know what i think is interesting about it like is and this might this is wild speculation on my part because i think so much of like film criticism is just like the people who watch it first are just like the the tastemakers and then everyone all the second wave of critics just reacting to the first wave but because everybody's watching all the stuff at the same time People actually have to form an opinion, <laughs> like by them. That's, I know that's their jobs, but it feels a bit more like people are actually are not like reacting to the reaction. They're actually giving an honest take. Maybe these people just aren't very good at their jobs, and we're finding out. Another Maybe. another thing the pandemic is revealing, apart from you know our woeful, you know our terrible crumbling infrastructure and uh, the failures of our welfare state. Also, maybe Robbie Collins isn't very good at his job. I think <laughs> <laughs> that's the big takeaway. We're from seeing this pandemic. it. Mask off. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think Robbie Collin is someone who, like, he's not the worst. I do, sometimes I enjoy, uh, I enjoy his stuff. I like the fact that he gave Valyrian in the City of a Thousand Planets an incredibly strong review going against the critical grain. Really went out on a limb for that movie and absolutely loved it. So I've got to give him some respect for that. <laughs> but uh, he is also a huge melt, so. Yeah. He's a melt, so fuck that guy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, Danny, I'm going to throw a film title at you, and I want you to tell me what you thought of it. Please do. I heard you watch The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Did I? The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes was anything but elementary. My dear Sherlock, there are certain affairs that do not come within the province of the private detective. The public has a right to know these things. Sherlock Holmes was a man of curious habits and eccentric tastes. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? Thoroughly. But this will take care of it. A lot of people ask me what about my opinions about that film, and I keep telling them I haven't seen it, and now I can repeat yours. Say, so, what did you make of it? Well, Also, I... what is it? <laughs> it is a later period uh, Billy Wilder movie written by him and his longtime collaborator... I-A-L Diamond. always find a... Why does it three initials before his last name? That's just a cool... He's a writer. Just threw another initial just to seem cooler. You've got to you've got to draw focus to that cool last name. Well, they wrote Some Like a Hot Together and uh, The Apartment. You know, this guy's a genius. And it's one of his... I think it's a better regarded late period Wilder. The general consensus is that off The Apartment, he never really made a movie nearly as good. But this one is thought to be uh, somewhat better than the average of his later period stuff. And it is, yeah, it's quite a fun time. It's I think it's a huge influence on, like, the BBC Stephen Moffat, Mark Gatiss version and how it sort of approaches things. Because the general, the conceit is that it's set at the beginning in the 1970s and they unearth this, uh, from this vault, this, like, final chapter Watson has written, which is, like, this case that was just so scandalous it couldn't be printed at the time. And then it's... It's sort of like uh, almost like an anthology film. I think the original idea was to make it this really like long roadshow presentation thing, but they they cut it down. I think against Wilder's wishes, and it's this quite 
uh, ramshackle plot, but the the sort of banter between the two leads, the, the Holmes and Watson stuff, is really good. Like, because it's kind of like a screwball comedy to begin with. So it's the guys who write some like a hot, and there's like one Dominic dude, you know, it's a bit like Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon sort of dynamic. And uh, it's quite a memorable term, Christopher Lee as uh, Mycroft Holmes. Come in. Come in, Sherlock. Dr. Watson. Sit down. You're looking very fit, both of you. Thank you. How are you, Mycroft? How's your gout? Under control, except for an occasional twinge. I've got a treat for you. Very old Madeira, 1814. There are only six bottles left in the world. I've got two of them, and I'm negotiating for a third. If you don't mind my saying so, anybody who's susceptible to gout shouldn't be... Uh... The last doctor who warned me about that was crossing Piccadilly, slipped on an orange peel, and was run over by a delivery van from Fortnum and Mason. Your very good health. I think one of the few people to play both Mycroft and Sherlock Holmes. Uh, and it's sort of like, it's fine. It's like such a, it's such a kind of throwback movie where uh, it's just about... People going to a place and then, uh, <laughs> so, and you know, with those movies, people go to places they don't make them anymore. Uh, that's, a, just, that's, a, that's a richly evocative description of, of the plot. And so how do I put it? It's like in old timey movies, when people go to a place, there's always like a 20 minute scene just on the train getting there. You know, it's just more about like luxuriating and the sort of characters bantering. So it's quite a sort of slow watch. I thought the guy who played Holmes is really good. It's, um, uh, Robert Stevens. Uh, father of Toby Stevens and husband to Dame Maggie Smith and he was like a theatre actor he's like one of his few film roles but he's very good in it and uh, there's a there's a some of the humour's a bit dated there's these jokes about midgets in it which I was like this is a bit this is definitely made in the 70s this is a no-no no-no um, but yeah it's okay it's like the plot is very if you've seen the Benedict Cumberbatch one about um, Aaron Adler it's kind of like ripped off this movie so if you watch that and you're like, that's an incredible uh, characterization of a woman, surely no one could have thought of that by themselves. It's because Billy Wilder and I.L. Diamond did like 40 years previously. Well, I did think that the their characterization of Irene Adler was very Moffatty. So, you know, if anything, it's better if they ripped it off uh, <laughs> Wilder. She just seemed like a, the, like, it was just that thing of a... Uh, a strong, a strong female character kind of being just like the fantasy of the writer. It's like yeah. what would be the hottest kind of character. I think it's like a genius who is a dominatrix. Um, <laughs> it's not quite that in the seventies, but the sort of the the conceit of the character and how her story like ends up is just this movie basically. Uh, but yeah, it was it was good. It's not like I don't know. It's kind of judged in the context of him not firing on all cylinders. So it's like a sort of late period of like a former genius it's like okay it's not terrible but it's like nowhere near as good as like you know the obviously no as good as like you know his best five movies which are all kind of masterpieces so did you did you feel that it was uh coasting i think that's what you get with a lot of old directors they just feel like the the, the fun of filmmaking has kind of gone out of it a bit you know and they're just uh they're just sort of doing it somewhat by rote yeah a little bit it was a little bit like that. And also because the plot is so long and meandering, it just feels a bit like, even though apparently it was cut down, I'm like, I think that was a good idea. They should cut it down way more. It's like, it should be much tighter than it is. Yeah, it does feel that way. There's like a long sort of comedy sequence at the start, which kind of goes nowhere. There's also like a few jokes about them being gay, uh, which feels quite like, which is similar to the Stephen Moffat, Mark Gatiss thing of like people occasionally... 
which you know it's sort of okay in the seventies, but then like like why is that a joke in the twenty ten version? Like I don't know. Why can't two dudes just love each other, man? Um, we got a message from a regular contributor Hoppo, who sent us the following. Okay, it's probably too early to ask this, but anyway. So you've been called by Hollywood to produce COVID-19, the movie. What's your angle? Journey through the abandoned urban wasteland? Taught claustrophobic thriller under lockdown? So you, Danny, how would you make a movie about about coronavirus? What I would do is I would take my cues from the work of the best living director, uh, Paul Haggis, and have this sort of portmanteau, like, series of interconnecting stories. But, like... One of them is just me just being a bit bored and just scrolling through Netflix and maybe making banana bread. And then like, the other one's like a nurse on the front line, doesn't have the right equipment. Another one's like people are like already in poverty, like not getting their wages, being plunged into destitution. Like a series of like sobering Ken Loach like stuff, but also me mixed in there. But the, the general point of the movie is that my struggle is as, is equal, if not worse than everyone else's. <laughs> like it puts it into perspective just to yeah. emphasize how bad your situation is yeah like yeah like it'll be a woman being like a nurse like being coughed on and like dying but also me just not being able to find something to watch and the movie's perspective is very much that's the same thing that would be a great structure to fit in the prime minister catching coronavirus yeah and then he could encounter the nurse character you know but uh, and, yeah, and then the it nurse. Would also, it would also draw an equivalence between their respective struggles. You know, he's got the weight of statecraft on his shoulders, and he's facing death at the hands of the virus. You know, she's working herself uh, to the bone. They're both just servants of the public good, doing what they can. Yeah, and I'm I, I'm also struggling. And you're struggling as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. We're all in this together, aren't we? Yeah. Or rich, alternatively, rich and poor. Um, people who are, are just sitting around at home and people are working really hard. Yeah, it's the same, isn't it? It's the same. It's just the same. Uh, alternatively, I would do like a sort of Inglorious Bastards style movie where like I'm a nurse who's working in the hospital when Boris is ill and I just, just asphyxiate the guy, just like pillow over the head, just like this is this is the best I can do for the country. And then it goes into an sort of alternate future where it's just m- a lot better. <laughs> that, does sound, that does sound good. You could play a little video of yourself laughing hysterically. That's yeah. make sure it's the last thing he sees. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe I'm a time traveler from the future and I go to the nurse. It's like, listen, you have to kill this guy. Like, you just got to do it. It gets worse from here. Here's COVID uh, 2029. <laughs> Inject him with this. It's a, it's a more, it's even more fatal, but it's not contagious. Um, <laughs> so- what about... <laughs> What about yourself? What you got any uh, got any story ideas for tackling like, COVID nineteen? I, I really like your sort of portmanteau thing. I think maybe the way to take it to the next level would be to do it like Babel, the um, <laughs> Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu film, and make it a series of little vignettes, but like a really international. Right. Okay. So it's drawing even more equivalences between different people's lives. You know, people in like millions of different continents millions of continents or millions and millions of continents um uh all walks of life people with disabilities and and uh, and the message is that we're all humans we're all just humans we're all just bloody humans just trying to get along we're all humans we all speak different languages but in the end we all speak the same language which is humans 
<laughs> which is Esperanto. <laughs> <laughs> which is um, English, the universal language. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that that could that could work well, especially if the cast can, consisted of enormously famous people and also unknowns. Yeah. Um, like very famous Americans and very unfamous uh, actors from foreign countries. I like it. I love it. The thing that it, it, it is a bit like is the. Do you remember that Josie Long film that we saw? Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday. Yeah. That, that was called? Cool? Yeah, I've forgotten the name of that movie. Fact check. Fact check. It's a live, low audio quality fact check. Hey, folks, Sam here, checking in from the future. Uh, we got the name of this film wrong. It's actually called Super November, not Super Tuesday, directed by Douglas King, written by Josie Long and starring Josie Long. You can watch it on Amazon Prime for two ninety nine if you so choose. Going to play a little clip from the trailer here and then get back to the past for the rest of the episode. Oh, my God, Darren, he's so great. He's so stoic. He's like a granite statue of a firm but fair prime minister. Do you know something last time? I don't know. I love him so much. There'll be no bevin. There'll be no hooliganism. They're all going to the pub. We should go to the pub. No, because we've been here 20 minutes. So if we go now, we just wasted all that time. Oh my God, Ruddy was driving me crazy today. What? He's genuinely the sort of person who would say something like, bring on the apocalypse. Well, it's got a point. It's kind of like a rom-com, but it's kind of a post-apocalyptic kind of political drama. Yeah, yeah. Sort of odd hodgepodge of um, of genres, but it was in this kind of um, bipartite structure where uh, right in the middle of the film, it kind of leaps ahead to after sort of martial law, basically, and the, the second half of the film is curiously dystopic, mm. but, but it's all focused really narrowly down on the... Um, uh, everyday kind of mundane lives of uh, Josie Long and her friends as they hang out and like get drunk and flirt with each other and so on. And it sort of is showing you how they struggle on with that normal life, even under increasingly apocalyptic circumstances. So that would be a way to go. You know, that could, could be how you do your COVID-19 film. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it, to be honest with you. Every time there's a like real life event, I'm just like, oh God, Mark Wahlberg's rang up Peter Berg. In a year's time, I'm going to have to see this from Mark Wahlberg's perspective. Honestly, I like prefer, I'm going to prefer coronavirus stuff than Brexit stuff. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. I'd rather watch Last Christmas if a coronavirus happened in the middle than fucking Brexit. Uh, you just know Jamie Graham is at the fucking typewriter as we speak. So, <laughs> he's got um, Cumberbatch on the phone. He's like, we need you back. Get you we, know. Need, we, need, we need you to play Chris Whitty. <laughs> I'm sort of like, I think it could be a great, like, university thesis as, like, Bennett Cumberbatch's terrible uh, film picks. Like, like, who else has played Julian Assange and Dominic Cummings? Like, like, who else would do that? It's such an insane thing to do. I don't know. Weird guy. I, I can imagine the Jamie Graham take on, on COVID, actually. It would definitely be, uh, you know, like his thick of it without the joke style yeah. um, thing of a bunch of like professionals sort of like working their darndest and having to deal with the media and like some people make cock-ups and blah, blah, blah. But basically everyone in power is kind of just like guys showing up at the office, doing what they can do. Um, and uh, it's all a bit legitimizing of them. Uh, something that I find myself thinking of a lot is... Um, uh, Chris Morris in that Adam Buxton interview where he talked about doing all this research into the FBI in order to make that movie. And um, 
and how one of the details that he was told about how the FBI works that they have like people there we have like Sunni and Shia teams in the in the office and they like um uh shoot nerf guns at each other like the Sunni team and the Shia yeah. team sort of like have little games where they fire nerf guns at each other in the office like that and that's real but it sounds like a over the top uh like joke about how incompetent they are or like how in uh, in the movie Spy the the good one of the good Paul Feig movies where like the CIA like headquarters are just infested with bats for some reason because yeah, yeah. it's a silly joke. But like I feel like things like that are more true about how institutions actually function than the Sorkinized uh, or like all of these uh, whatever, you know, House of Cards or any of these things about people who are all essentially clever, educated professionals who, um, you know, might be scheming, they're good or bad and they make mistakes or whatever, but essentially they all turn up every day and they're thinking about the higher goals. Or, the, or they have grand ambitions, you know, and they're not just like a bunch of idiots winging it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that is more like what's actually going on. And, you know, so I, I, I would watch the coronavirus movie if it was made just basically about how calamitously incompetent and awful, uh, like, the functioning of the British state is across, like, politics and the media and how terribly they handled it and why it led to tens of thousands of deaths um, that were uh, unnecessary. You know that could be that could be good, but I'm not. I mean, I mean, maybe you're the man to write it, Sam. You've been thought about that. It's fallen on my shoulders. Yeah, I must. I must do the good, the thick of it for the twenty, uh, the the next decade, whatever. Yeah. The 2020s. I mean, I mean, do you have any time on your hands to maybe get started on this project? I'm pretty busy. It's so. <laughs> like Castlevania season four come out or something. Like, what's, what's going on? <laughs> That's time. the other thing I've got to do. That's the other thing I'm going to do is write Castlevania season four. I feel like I'm the man to do that as well. Did you did you finish it by the way? Because you mentioned you were going to try and finish. I tried to. I tried to, and I succeeded. I did watch the last two episodes of Castlevania. Yeah, pretty pretty bombastic. Really yeah. quite glaring how there was like uh, seven episodes of nothing happening and three episodes of everything happening in that ten episode series. Very strange. I don't know what the production system is like on Netflix, but that probably should have been a four or five episode series rather than ten. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You watched it. I watched it. I'm the sucker, really, aren't I? Oh. I watched it. And then you know what really made me a sucker? I even enjoyed it. I didn't care. <laughs> this film was laughing at me, wasting you, my time. You're going to laugh at me now. I went on the internet. I started raving about it. I called everyone I knew. Told them to watch Castlevania yeah, Season 3. I kept telling people to watch Castlevania Season 3, and it just flagrantly wasted my time. <laughs> and... Uh, and I did nothing. I just I, let I it I bought happen. the Blu-ray. Just bought it. Yeah, I, I was happy what. about it. I was happy about it. Bought 20 copies little... of it. Just gave them away to people on the street. I'm a real pay pig for Netflix. Oh, boy. Right. Well, with that discussion of my um, curious sexual preferences and how they relate to um, Netflix's exploitative model, uh, I think we might, we might be fresh out of chat. Fresh out of chat. But join us next... I won't say next week. There might not even be a week by the time we come back with the way things are going so mad these these days. Wait, do we even have days anymore? Um, <laughs> next time. Next time, uh, hopefully we're going to be joined by Georgia Mills. We're going to do an exciting re-review of American Beauty because people have been like begging us to just re-review that late 90s, very famous but curiously perhaps quite dated movie. I'm re- I'm actually really looking forward to rewatching American Beauty. Yeah, yeah, it's so be of fun. its time, and it's so it's so like it's one of those movies that is so dense with themes, and that is you know so laden with meaning, but is like steeped in 
the nineties so intensely that it's going to be very interesting to review, is it? Yeah, I mean, I'd have a suspicion that it might suck because everything from the nineties kind of sucks. That's my new sort of like hot take. I don't want to paint with a broad stru- uh, brush strokes, but everyone who was who made it in the nineties is shit, just like a piece of shit. Like you know, <laughs> I don't want to be you know sort of de- very uh, declarative. Declarative. That's how I feel. Um, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna review that and probably some more films. We got some more films to watch. Excellent. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure once again. Thanks for tuning in to the latest uh, quarantine uh, structure. This ramble, and we'll catch you again next time. Bye bye. Bye. Let's do it. You said kindness is an act of rebellion. There's messages coming through in this film. What do you say to people who say this is an anti-Brexit film? Oh, it's not at all. What it is anti is othering. What it, I think what it's anti is, is intolerance. There's a scene in the movie um, where this guy just says to everyone on the bus, it's just if you can't speak English, get out of my country. And it was what was said to some friends of ours on the tube. In fact, it was much more violent than that. And I feel like at the moment we're being, our, our country is not, it feels very um, alien to me because I think of us as stupid, tolerant and um, curious. And curiosity is what saves us from racism, intolerance and, and cruelty because we're curious about one another, we want to find out about one another. and. And then, of course, we find out that we all want the same thing. We want to be safe, have enough to eat, roof over our heads, and we need to love and be loved. It's quite simple, really. So making people into the other is its completely counterintuitive. It's not what human beings are supposed to do. 